Welcome to the Foxy Podcast, a bi-monthly show brought to you by Freeform Freakout. The show is produced at KMSU Studios in Mankato, Minnesota. And here on the Foxy Podcast, we try to dig deeper into underground and experimental sounds of the past and present. And welcome to episode number 150 of the Foxy Podcast show. Hope you're all doing well out there, wherever you're listening from. On this installment, we'll dig into the work of the Austin, Texas-based label Astral Spirits. Started in 2014 as a tape label that focused on what they dubbed the new wave of heavy free jazz. Astral Spirits has gone on to issue upwards of 115 releases and counting in its five years of operations and has expanded into other formats and other areas of electronic and experimental music. On this episode, we chat with musician and label owner Nate Cross about the beginnings of Astral Spirits, about how the label has evolved and where it's heading in the near future. And throughout the show, you'll also hear several tracks from newer and forthcoming releases from the Astral Spirits catalog, Before we get into the interview portion of the show, I thought I'd begin by playing a few selections, starting with this piece called Every Season Has Its Reason from the Invitation to a Dream album by Susan Alcorn, Joe McPhee, and Ken Vandermark. Thank you. 
When you started Astral Spirits five years ago, it seemed like you had a very clear vision of what you wanted the label to be. And I seem to recall that even the the slogan, the new wave of heavy free jazz, was tied to that earliest batch of releases. 
So was establishing a really clear signature sound and style important to you, like out of the gates? And maybe what were some of the motivations for starting up the label initially? So yeah, um, when I started it, I, I I did want to come out of the gates really like have kind of a vision and a look. Like I had my friend Mason who did a lot of the design. We had worked on that for a while before you know, actually releasing anything, and the tagline, New Wave of Heavy Free Jazz, just seemed kind of fun. Mm-hmm. I remember some of, like, um, I think Mats Gustafsson had done, like, the Free the Jazz slogan, and there was stuff like that, and I kind of liked that. So, so yeah, so I wanted, to, I wanted it to be distinct because it was free jazz and tapes at that time. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think, I think it worked pretty well. Right, right. Well, what was the connection to, or what has been the connection to Monophonous Press? Because it was kind of, uh, I don't want to say pitched as, but it was sort of a, like a, a label, a sister label to that label from Texas. Yeah. So that, the way that kind of happened was, well, I, when I wanted to start the label, I didn't really know what to do. Initially, I actually was just going to try to do um, shows. There were some other people in town that were doing, like, bringing free jazz shows to Austin. I thought that would be a cool idea, and I was trying to think of a way to differentiate myself. So I was like, oh, I'll have, like, a tape release because I know how to do that, and that could be kind of a cool thing. Mm -hmm. And then to, like, sort of get that up and running, I pitched it to Morgan, who owned Monophonis, um, just to see if he'd be interested in helping out. And he kind of he listened and came back to me. He's like, why don't you just do it as a label I'll help get you up and running for the first few years, and we'll just see where it goes. So then at that point, it kind of just became a label, which was great. I think I wanted to do that. I was just kind of scared and didn't know how. Mm-hmm. So having, like, Morgan and Corey and Will, the other guys, like, they really helped me and, like, got me up and running, basically. Right, awesome. right. Well, I know that you were active playing in, in different bands over the years mm-hmm. that were perhaps more in the like rock or experimental rock vein for, for lack of a better description. So yeah. I was wondering how, how free jazz and improvised music became such a focal point for you. Cause I feel like, you know, this type of music really comes down to like experiencing it in the live setting, you know, like that can be like that breakthrough aha moment. So were there like certain standout performances that you, you witnessed that really kind of caught your attention and maybe were pivotal in shaping your interest in this area of music? Yeah, I think, I mean, when I was younger in college, I really liked a lot of this stuff and saw, like, Peter Brotzman, who I didn't know at the time, but I saw, like, Peter Brotzman with William Parker and Javi Drake. And then as I kept playing music, um, I got more into trying to do weirder, I guess, experimental rock because... Yeah, I mean, I saw The Thing would come to Austin all the time with mm-hmm. Mott and Ingebrit and them, and I would see that, and it would just, yeah, it was really inspiring. And so the more I saw shows like that, I wanted to try to play it, but I realized I'm not good at it. <laughs> <laughs> this was sort of the next best thing. I, I've just always loved it and kind of had this passion for it, mm-hmm. and it seemed like a nice a nice fit. Yeah. Well, you you stated elsewhere that part of your reasoning for having Astral Spirits be primarily a tape label, and I and I do realize that that has changed significantly over the past five years, but it was that you could perhaps reach a broader 
audience for free jazz and, and improvised music. So what was it about the, the tape medium that you found appealing? And, and do you feel like Astral Spirits has been able to branch out and reach listeners that might not necessarily pay attention to this area of music otherwise? Yeah, I think, um, I hope I have. I think I have. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think in general, if you look at people's taste in music, I think free jazz has kind of grown a different audience. But that was definitely the main focus was, you know, not to, I mean, part of it was sort of like a, a, a FU, not really an FU, but like jazz has a very stereotypical listener right like you Mm -hmm. think of like an old white dude yeah yeah and doing tape seemed like a good way to kind of throw them for a loop in a way um not in a mean way but like in a like whoa whoa but also yeah it was meant to like i didn't want them to be the primary audience i wanted it to be people who wouldn't pay attention to this stuff because i just i love and you know coming from more of a rock background i kind of thought like in my head like free jazz is more punk rock than a lot of punk rock is really. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I thought the tape medium was kind of a good way to reach a different people. And, you know, tapes were just, they're just cheaper. So it was an easy way to get into the label world kind of. Right. It's not like, like free jazz is going to have some mass market. It's a pretty niche market. So doing a a run of a hundred or 150 tapes makes sense that you're not bogged down in the expenses of doing LPs for everything. Yeah. Exactly. And it was mostly, you know, right off the bat, especially too, because, yeah, like just coming at it, being a new label in this niche market and doing like three records and all of a sudden you have no money. Left. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it was fine. But, you know, people, people did pretty well with it. And like I was surprised at the how people reacted. There's still definitely, I mean, to this day, and I kind of love it, to this day I still get so many people that, just we'll send not mean emails, but just be like, I can't believe you're doing tapes. <laughs> I'll be like, why isn't this on a CD or why isn't this one on vinyl? Yeah. It's right. just the like format wars is such a weird thing in and of itself. It It is very strange because, well, first, I mean, in the end, if you want it, you could or it's available digitally yeah. at the very yeah. least. Like, I don't understand the hang up on some of those things. So well, and too, like even with a lot of the jazz press, like doing the new um, astral editions, the digital offshoot thing, mm-hmm. I mean, I've gotten more negative feedback from press folks than anyone else on that. <laughs> it's like, I won't review this cause it's not in a physical form. I'm like, but it's, yeah, it's it's funny. That is yeah, that is strange. <laughs> well, well, as a label, you've also branched out by putting out albums by artists like Obnox. Uh, is it? I hope I say this right. Is it Tradici Bashi or Baki? Tradici Bashi. Yeah. Tradici Bashi. Yeah, and some and someone like like Charles Barabe, who you know most who, at least who are familiar wouldn't associate with free jazz or improvised music at all, but who end up producing work that clearly aligns with sort of the experimental or improvised character of your catalog as a whole. So I was kind of curious, I mean, do you reach out to certain artists like those mentioned with the idea of creating work that has a astral spirits quality to it? Yes. Um, Yeah, it's sort of with those three in particular. um, Tradici, I did reach out to Simon when I first started Lil, just because I had heard the first tape 
on the NNA and loved it. And Simon's amazing and just has this crazy brain. The way his brain works is crazy. It's awesome. <laughs> but he like immediately was like, okay, we'll make it weirder. And he had this idea of doing part of it where it was like the fake, you know, Grupo improv stuff. Mm-hmm. And then half like his. So he sort of made it fit to what Astral Spirits was doing. And then Obnox, I actually did reach out to Bim and kind of pitched it to him as that. I was like, make me a free jazz record. Mm-hmm. And he did. That's an that incredible was, record, yeah. Yeah, it's a really weird one. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then I've had more ideas of doing that, and I've, I've kind of talked to a few people about that you wouldn't think, like, do a free jazz record for me, but nothing else has really come of it yet. Okay. And then Charles, he actually just reached out to me with a demo and I thought it was unbelievable. Yeah. But it was yeah. The same thing. Like he kind of was like, this is something that I thought would actually fit on national spirits more so than a lot of the things I've done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to play, or we're going to start this first block of music by playing something from Rob Mazurik, uh, an artist who you've worked with multiple times now. Uh, in fact, you have issued three of his releases this year alone. And Rob has no doubt been a pretty important and significant player in contemporary jazz circles. But can you just share uh, what you found so appealing about his music and, and maybe a little about this Desert Encrypts series sure. that we're going to be playing a track from? Yeah, so Rob has always been, I mean, I grew up listening to his music and he's always been such a, he was on when I had my, when I started the label and I had my dream list. Mm-hmm of like the big names that I like one day I'm going to work with these people. He was one of the first people I put down and you know, I actually just kind of coldly, I just wrote him an email cold um, back in whenever that was, 2015, I think. Mm-hmm. That's it started and his immediate response was basically like, let's do this. Yeah. And it was kind of wild and I, I had actually, you know, I was like, it can be, we're doing a tape so it can be something real weird and you know, he had all this, he has all this electronic and computer music that is just amazing that I don't know if other labels aren't into it or he just hadn't put it out. And so I kind of love that there's this other side of him. Yeah, yeah. He has such yeah. a, like a wide range of music yeah. that he's producing yeah. that you're actually issuing on the label that I think is just incredible. No, I know. So. Well, and that was, so with the Desert Encrypts, um, so that's his festival that he started in Marfa, mm-hmm. and now he lives in Texas. Like it's kind of this, it's weird how it's all come together. It's kind of great. <laughs> right. But he's been doing that, and I helped, you know, support the festival the first couple of years. We just had the second one in July, um, and so yeah, it's just his little thing that I think is kind of brilliant, and it's very Texas-based because it's in Marfa, which is a weird amazing place where he lives now and yeah I mean this this record is great and so when we were going to release this all of a sudden I was like well I have these other two albums I've just been sitting on mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. so we we're like let's just do a trilogy yeah excellent but yeah so the Desert Encrypts thing will keep every year it happens with a different group this past year it was him and Chad Taylor and Rosa Barba doing visuals and um, Jan St. Werner Mm-hmm. So right. it was a really cool thing, and, and same thing like that. Desert Encrypts Two should come out 
next year before the third one. Cool, cool. Well, let's play some music here. This is we're going to start it off with uh, a piece from Desert Encrypts Volume One, and this is just a track called Encrypts Two.
Well, Astral Spirits is based in Austin, Texas, but if you look through the catalog and the work that you've done with the label over the past five years, it's it's clear that you've been documenting a lot of the activity taking place in Chicago's vibrant jazz scene. And I don't consider myself an expert in this area at all, <laughs> but it, it does seem like Chicago is one of the very few places in the U.S. and maybe for the world, uh, or for the world for that matter, where this tradition of jazz and free jazz seems to continuously evolve, but also be a part of the city's sort of wider musical dialogue and discussion, which I think is pretty rare. Um, You know, as someone who has a bit more perspective on this, how would you describe Chicago's jazz scene and I guess Astral Spirit's connection to it? Yeah, I think, um, so the connection's kind of, well, it's not that long, sorry, but it's kind of hard to, basically, I, so I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in Indiana, mm-hmm. and I went to school at IU in Bloomington in like the late '90s and early 2000s. So when I was there, I'd see a lot of folks tour through, and I'd go up to Chicago all the time. So I was going up there a lot to see like Fred Anderson and Jeff Parker and Josh Abrams and Rob Mazurk and all these people. So it was, I mean, I was just enthralled. Like it was so amazing. I mm-hmm. fell in love with all of it, and it just like you said, like it was, it doesn't feel like New York. It weirdly doesn't have as much of like a hustle to it. Yeah. Um, and there's a comfort in a way. I feel like people are encouraged to try things and do, and not just cater to like the crowd that's going to pay the money. I don't know. Uh, people, mm-hmm. audiences there especially are much more open to experimentation and different things, which right. is a very rare thing. And to be able to, like, the amount of people that are there just kind of blows my mind. And they're playing every night in their crowds for it. It's yeah, yeah. Cool. And, and so a... yeah, so I've, I've sort of, you know, I've met a lot of the Chicago folks through touring and just other actually through my day job. I've, I've met a few of them mm-hmm. that way too. And um. Yeah, I've just kind of <laughs> picked up on it, and it's just my favorite, I guess. Right. So in some <laughs> sense, even though you're based in Austin, I mean, there's pretty long-standing roots or ties that go back from yeah. Yeah, like your college days, like you mentioned. Yeah, from from just growing up with it, and then I lived there for almost a year. Okay. Um, and met some people there, and yeah, just and kind of what's taken off on the label, like with Quinn Kirchner and some of the Dave Rempis stuff. It just it just works. Right, right. Well, does yeah. Austin have a, a fair amount of musical activity happening in the vein of what you're documenting on Astral Spirits? So I'd say Austin is more... There is some, and I think more and more, there, as time's going on and Austin's growing, there is becoming a bigger scene, especially for jazz, a good scene. Yeah. Uh, there's always been more of a... It's always like kind of skewed more towards experimental side of things I'd say Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of really weird you know more free improv or weird electronics or whatever sure and so so there is cool stuff and I mean you know Ingebert Hockerfotten lives here and Chris Cogburn and Jonathan Horn and there are a handful of people that I have done releases for that do live here and that's great but at the same time they're always on tour or (laughs) yeah yeah but there's also, I mean, it's it's growing as Austin grows. There's a really great series called Me, Mare, Mo, 
Monday. Mm-hmm. Run by Melissa Seely, a good friend, and it's been incredible. Like it's just the crowd. It's small, obviously, but there's always a crowd. It's on Mondays. Like if people tour through, I always have them play, and it's just it's great. Like people really. It's a great space for people to try to do weird things. Sure. I love it. Well, yeah. you, you said one of the things that you were trying to do early on before it was even a label is thinking of it as a, I guess, a, a live performance series or booking, yeah. things like that. Do you have your hand in a lot of that there in Austin? Not really, no. Um, you know, the it's kind of like a grander theme in my life, I guess. Like when it all happened, I was also kind of about to change jobs and I was starting to tour less and like getting ready to have a family. And so I was trying to find this thing I want to do and it ended up the label sort of became the label. And then the show thing, I wanted to do shows cause I had experience. And then I actually got like, that's my day job now is I do fest music production okay. festival. Yep. So that sort of like it kind of split off that way. So I don't really do as much with the label in terms of doing shows just because I don't have the bandwidth quite as much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You said production, like I, I think maybe I read this somewhere, but you have a hand in like Pitchfork Festival and stuff like that. I mean, yeah, I've, I've worked Pitchfork as like stage manager and that's actually mm-hmm. where a lot of the Chicago free jazz guys work Pitchfork. Oh, interesting. <laughs> actually like Mike Reed and Dave Rempis used to and Quinn Kirchner. Like I've met a lot of people through that funnily enough. And then yeah, I work for the uh, South by Southwest Music Festival here. Okay, yeah. which I so that that's something that keeps you busy much of the year for yeah. for kind of like navigating all the details and stuff of that, huh? Yeah, so yeah, you, it does. So you're not necessarily booking bands; you're just kind of getting no. some of the logistical pieces in place. Yeah, and that's like I said, like the, I've always had these multiple interests in music that way, and. Yeah, with South by like I don't have a hand in curating. That's kind of where my label thing is my my curating. Right. But for South by, I really love like it's fun to have these bands. They come to you and they give you these kind of challenges to make something happen. And yeah, it's fun. I enjoy it. Cool, cool. Well, one of the things that I, I have admired about Astral Spirits, the catalog, uh, is this pairing of like established artists alongside completely new and emerging players. You know, you've worked with legendary figures, and you've mentioned a few already, but people like Joe McPhee, Peter Brosman, Susan Alcorn, Thurston Moore, et cetera, et cetera, uh, to name but a few. Um, but, but you've also put out a fair share of releases by little-known artists from around the world. So I was curious, does this approach kind of tie back to what we mentioned earlier about broadening the audience and maybe redefining what free jazz and improvised music can be in this sort of day and age? Yeah, it yeah. Um I think my main it does definitely tie into reaching a younger audience. Um and also I think, you know, when when Thurston Moore comes to you with an album, you can't really say no because he's Thurston Moore. It's incredible. <laughs> but at the same time, like I, I do wanna be I try to be very adamant about still doing like you said, like doing smaller groups or people that you wouldn't know because I do think there is a tendency especially with press right now to like pile on to like the one person that's this savior of free jazz or like you see you see reviews for the same 10 people over and over right. and over and over and over but 
there's so many good players out there. It's crazy. I get so many demos, and a lot of them are really, really good. So I want to, yeah, I purposely try to put people in front of, you know, put their records out because they deserve it. And I want people to hear them alongside people like Peter Brotsman. Right. Joe because it should be a even it should be a level playing field. Right. Do you feel like you have to or I shouldn't say do you feel like have you had to kind of turn away a lot of people just because of the amount of stuff that you receive? Yeah. And you know, that kind of ties into like the amount I've done is kind of because I have a hard time saying no to people. <laughs> Got it. And I do. Like I really do like like I have the the good problem. Uh, you know, most labels you hear get demos, and it's this horrible thing where you have to listen to demos because they're always so bad. Mm-hmm. And somehow, I don't know if it's like the free jazz part or what, but I get a lot of demos, and a lot of them are great. Yeah. And it is hard. It is hard. There's a lot of, and that's why I've gotten in trouble where I've done so much, is because I just, yeah. I imagine being that you're one of the few labels out there that are you know, kind of catering to young up and coming free jazz players that you were essentially the go-to label <laughs> for a lot of this stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, my, my hope is that I think there are other labels that are picking up on it too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that's important to just, you know, I can't just make the, like, I don't want the label to just make money on the backs of, some bigger names. I wanted to actually do something for the music too and introduce new artists. Yeah. I think right. that's important, especially in the state age. I think that's important to remember all the time. Right, right. Well, this uh, new five-year anniversary compilation uh, that you just put out, it's called Astral Ascending because it really does focus on a lot of these newer artists uh, that you've worked with or that are sort of loosely connected to the label. And this is a pretty massive compilation. There's 33 okay. tracks, over three hours of music um, that you just put out. And I just wanted, to, if you wondering if you could tell us just the general thought process behind this collection and maybe what you were after with this release. Yeah, so it kind of, you know, I, was, I kept trying to think of things to do for a five-year anniversary, and I didn't want to make a big deal because it's only five years. But at the same time, it seemed like a good thing to do because I've done so many releases. Mm-hmm. Um, the initial inspiration actually was when I saw the 10-year anniversary that Black Truffle Records did, Orn Ambarki's oh, label. Yep. Yeah, and he did like a it was like a two-hour compilation of some a bunch of his releases, and I just thought that was great. And I was like, oh, this could be a good you know way to raise some money for the future projects. And I don't really like crowdfunding platforms that no, much. No, right. So this seemed like a good way to like give people something worthwhile and you know get a little bit the funds for next year. And also it was I wanted to make it kind of like an intro. So it was a good intro for people who might not know the label. Right. Good. And Just... you get, you know, three hours for ten dollars. And also the exclusive tracks kind of came in because I wanted to make it worthwhile to people that have been following the label. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I just started asking folks, and it kind of ballooned out of control. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is great. Like, it's it's crazy. It's awesome. And I like that it was, like you said, like, it's loosely, there are a lot of loosely related artists. Which I like, I like, you know, I've, I've tried to make our catalog very wide-reaching. Right, right. 
so it's not tied to anything yet. Well, I thought we'd play just a block of music from that just to give people kind of a feel for uh, some of the artists that are on there. And I'm going to start off with a track from, I think it's Patrick, and you'll maybe help me out here. Is it Shirashi? I, I honestly, I should ask him too. Shirashi <laughs> or Shiroshi? I'm yeah. not exactly sure. I so, feel bad. I'll have to apologize to him. <laughs> yes, yes. But I love the title of this. It's called Your Freedom is More Important Than Your Anger. We'll start off with that. And you also have an album that you're working with him too that just came out, correct? Yeah, yeah, I've done two this year for Patrick. We did one earlier this year, um, a quartet of his with Vinnie Gallia. It was incredible. Um, the new one, yeah, Kameshi Trio, and it's him on saxophones and Peter Kolovos on guitar, right. who runs Black Editions, amazing guitar player, and Noel Meek from New Zealand on electronics. It's really dark and awesome. Yeah, record. yeah. Yeah, I think we're going to play something from that later in the show, but for now, let's uh, jump into this block of music again, tracks that are featured on Astral Ascending, and uh, this is a piece called Your Freedom is More Important Than Their Anger. Oh, my God. 
Well, you've put out over 115 <laughs> releases, which is a lot uh, in the first five years of the label. But uh, you've indicated in other recent interviews that you plan to slow things down with the label a bit moving forward, which I think, again, with the amount that you've put out, I think anybody could understand that just given how much uh, time and energy goes into running a label. But how do you envision the label evolving as you look ahead here into the near future? Yeah, it's been a lot. I think <laughs> I, my goal initially, which I think I've done pretty well, was to sort of come out of the gates like running and just do a ton of stuff and get attention, more or less, mm -hmm. so that, you know, it could be... I, I, very aware that it's a long game and so at this point now that I've got like a steady audience um, I want to be more deliberate and and take my time and spend a little more time you know pushing things that deserve attention I feel like that's not something I regret but sometimes I feel a little bad because I'm doing so much that I can't really put I try to do as much press for everything as I can, but right. you know, I can't do as many faults because I'm always. I feel like I'm constantly trying to keep up. Yeah, and yeah. That's my main motivation now. Is like I need to really slow down and be more deliberate and get ahead rather than playing catch up. It's yeah. For my plan. Do Do you feel like um, running a tape label like w with the whole batch approach? Do you feel like it is challenging at times to? to draw attention to things or that a lot of stuff just gets overlooked because of that. I, I mean, that's kind of, I feel like as a small label owner, I feel that at times that things just kind of float under people's radar and they move on. Yeah. Yeah. The batch idea, you know, I think you, you can probably attest to this. It, it works well in terms of moving products, which is great. Um, and I think it does get, it accomplishes getting the music into the hands of listeners mm -hmm. pretty well, I think. As far as attention and press, it's harder because, yeah, because I try, when I send out press, you know, I send out for all of them at the same time as well. So writers are going to do, they're going to pick what one they want. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Rather than write about all of them. So, yeah, that's a hard thing. Mm -hmm. It can be hard. Yeah, yeah. Well, you've been able to do some Astral Spirits showcases in, in different cities okay. in the United States. You've done one in Chicago um, and in D.C. And I, I know we talked about do you do things in Austin. You said not necessarily, but I was wondering if that was something that you would like to continue to do to maybe expand upon as another branch of the label to like uh, feature more of your artists where it makes sense in these types of showcases. Yeah, I think... Yeah, I'm I'm already planning on doing well, I'm in the trying to plan to do another one in Chicago. Big surprise. <laughs> <laughs> do another one in Chicago in April that I think is gonna come together. Um I I would yeah, I'm definitely planning on keeping that up. I I've been doing a few times I've done the uh Suoni Pearl Popolo festival in Montreal. Mm, I think okay. I'm saying that right. I'm probably saying, butchering it, but <laughs> Uh, I'm going to do that again in June because they're really great people to work with and it's fun. And Yeah, it's been easier to do shows in Chicago and D.C. and, you know, I'll probably do something in the New Yorkish area soon because the artists are there, right? Right, right. I would love to get people in Texas, but, and, you know, I've worked a little bit with Ingebrit in the Sonic Transmission series, 
but it's just hard. It's expensive to get people down here. Right, right. You're a, um, you're a bit removed just geographically. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. And it's hard. There have been a few brave souls that have toured down here to do that. Mm-hmm. I commend them for that, but it can be hard to create a tour down to Texas and back, especially with the free jazz stuff. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, I definitely, you know, it's it's not really a money-making thing, but I like doing it. And it kind of also, t- I like taking the label elsewhere. Right, right. A lot. It's kind of fun. I, like, I'm from, I'm in Austin, but I don't really have that big of a presence here. Like, I feel like there are a lot of people <laughs> that live here that don't know anything about my label. Sure. And I kind of love that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it it's kind of all over. Yeah, Chicago is probably more of a natural home base as we were stating yeah, before. Yeah, I'm just here instead. Yeah, but yeah, right. I mean, people reach out. Like the DC thing kind of happened because Luke Stewart and Rhizome reached out and were like, "Come on up, and let's do something." So, if anyone listening wants me to come, invite me and I'll try. <laughs> let's see, Mankato, Minnesota. Could we pull it off? I'm not sure. I work in. <laughs> We'll see what I can find. <laughs> well, you have a, a, a new batch of tapes that just came out and, and several other things in the pipeline. So I thought maybe we'd just kind of wrap things up here, spending just a little time highlighting some of those things. Now, maybe just hand it over to you that you could just talk about what you've got coming. Sure. Yeah. Um, so the new batch that just came out was the Kameshi Trio, which we talked about, and Colin Fisher Quartet. And Nick Fraser, Chris Davis, Tony Malaby, which is funny because they're both Toronto-based groups, mm. which I didn't mm. mean to put together, but it just kind of <laughs> happened. They're yeah. both great. And then the Ilya Belarukov and Vasco Trilla, which is an amazing record. That record is incredible. Yeah. Um, but another one of those ones that I just I don't know if people know them that well. They should. They really, really should. Mm-hmm. Um, so that batch is great. And then November, closing up things with uh, the, another last record of the year, vinyl record, which is KVL, which is Quinn Kirchner and Danny Van Durham and Matthew Lux. And so Matt and Quinn, I did their solo records recently. Um, so this made sense to do it. It's a great group. They recorded multiple days in the studio, so the idea is this is volume one, and they say they're going to have a record every nine months <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> or something, which is great. I love it. Yeah. Those guys are amazing. So, and this record's really cool. Jamie Branch is on a track, and it's a very Chicago-sounding record. Yeah, kind of yeah. Like yeah. And then the other big one is the Amirtha Kadambe and Leah Bertucci tape, Phase Eclipse, which I just... I can't believe I'm even getting to release that. Yeah, that, that stuff <sighs> is incredible. That that release is incredible. Yeah, when I remember when Leah emailed me out of the blue, I haven't met them, but she just emailed me and pitched it, and I just, I mean, I remember it was when I was working during South by, and I still, I was so tired, but I remember seeing that and getting so excited. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I hadn't even listened to it, but it's incredible, and they're playing a few shows. They have a release show in November in New York with mm-hmm. Luke. And then, yeah, and then 2020, I'm going to hopefully slow down, but <laughs> I've got a lot of cool stuff. Hopefully, Quinn yeah. Kirshen will have a new record early in the year. There's the Charles Rumbach trio. Okay. Uh, Charles Rumbach and Jim Baker and John Tate, another Chicago group, but 
I mean, this, I love this record so much. It basically, to me, it sounds like a like a Vince Guaraldi. Oh yeah. Charlie Brown. It's so gorgeous. Kind of light piano based yeah. music. Yeah. But, but just like it's still not straight ahead. It's a beautiful, beautiful record. Mm-hmm. And then be a bunch of tapes. The other couple big things. I'm gonna be doing a record with Sarah Hennies. Oh, cool! Yeah. I'm super excited about. Kind of, you know, not necessarily in the free jazz vein, which I like. Mm-hmm. You know, pushing things a little bit. And right. Then there'll be a bunch more. Well, excellent. Well, I thought we would uh, start off this set of music. I'm gonna play something from that uh, key, uh, KVL LP that you mentioned. I'll play a track called yeah. North Branch. But uh, Nate, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Of course, thank you, David. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, and and good luck with things moving forward as you as you slow down, which you're totally you you can do that. I keep saying it in interviews because I'm like willing it onto myself. If I keep saying it, it's going to happen. It has to happen now. <laughs> well, thanks again. I really do appreciate it. And again, this is KVL.
And that's going to bring things to an end for this installment of the show. I want to thank Nate once again for taking the time to speak with me. If you'd like to check out the complete playlist for this show, you can go to our website at freeformfreakout.com. There are links that will bring you to each of the releases played and where you can purchase a copy if you'd like. And I always encourage you to do so. Or you can also head directly to astralspirits.bandcamp.com to find out more about all of their releases. If you have any questions or comments, you can always get in touch with me at fffreakout at hotmail.com. But otherwise, check back in a couple of weeks for a new episode. And as always, thanks so much for listening. Thank you.